Welcome to New Destiny Christian Center's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Teresa Verdecchio. If you want to find more information about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com. So we're going to look at a couple things tonight. I uh, entitled this Climb Up and Press In. So uh, if you haven't realized, those are verbs. Amen. All year is about action, action, action. You're just going to uh, be so thrilled with it. Um, some people tell me, well, Pastor, what if my personality, if I'm more phlegmatic or if I'm more melancholy? I just say it's okay because your temperament is like my temperament, which I'm a sanguine choleric. If you don't know what a choleric is, well, everybody knows what a cleric is. You know those bossy people tell everybody what to do and take charge. You either are one or you can't stand one. That's, that's pretty much what the, that type A personality is. Sanguine's a people person. You know, that's why it's really hard to do assignments because you've got to get away from people and focus. You know, so my cleric's always disciplining my sanguine, which is the people person, and my sanguine's always trying to run off from the cleric, Right? So when you're uh, melancholy, you pay attention to details, typically pretty artistic and creative and these kind of things. And when you're phlegmatic, you're kind of steady, sturdy, stable, and you're, you're just constant. And here's what I say about all the temperaments. And then there's a supine, which is like a serving type, but I don't need to, that's not what this is on tonight. Here's what I say about all temperaments. Jesus made us all. He loves it all. He was all of them in one. He loves how he made you. He, love, he loves how he designed you. But the cross trumps all of our temperaments and we must apply the cross wherever it needs to be applied to our life so if you're somebody of action you're uh, probably going to be dealt with by the lord wait stop hold up wait on me if you're somebody that is inactive the holy spirit's going to be like a poker and he's going to stir you and and move you to action why the bible says that we are to stir one another on into love and good works because there's work to do amen now you can be born again be a christian Never do a blessed thing. You are saved by grace through faith. You will go to heaven. But here's, because somebody asked me, why are you so much into trying to get people to do stuff for God? Well, first of all, that has to do with an apostolic anointing. I know that God did everything for us, but the reason I try to get people to do things for God, the vision that I've always had is uh, of my brother when he, uh, he'd have all the chores, you know, he was older and stronger, so he had a lot of chores, things like bringing the coal into the house, making sure there was enough coal in the house, and making sure the bin that stored the coal, that was always filled, and making sure where the coal was that filled the bin. I mean, it was nonstop, you know, slopping pigs. You guys didn't know that about us, right? My dad always butchered a cow, and we had pigs, you know. I wish that I could just have something other than a steak. Even to this day, I really don't like steak. It's just, you know, that's the way it was. So he had all these chores. And I remember there were times where he wasn't going to get it done. He had to go, whether it was to school or to a practice or whatever. And he's like, sis, would you help me get my chores done? And he would always, like, fake me out and say he'd give me something. And he didn't. You guys know how old your siblings are, right? But I remembered that, that he really, truly, honestly needed my help. 
And so I was always stirred to help him. I, you know, I'm kind of motivated that way. I do like to help people. And so I would help him get his chores done. And that is exactly how I look at the harvest. That is exactly how I look at the work of God in the earth. Because the Bible says that we're co-laborers. I look at it this way. I don't have to do a blessed thing for Jesus. He loves me. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. But the reason I work and labor for him, because according to scripture, Jesus is our elder brother. He's our big brother. And he needs help because he's trying to, in the harvest field, reach the lost, the bleeding, the dying, and the damned. And he is short of laborers. He can't do it all himself. In fact, when we want to soak and enjoy his presence, which there is a place for that, I believe in that, I practice that, I believe he is constantly, 24-7, out in the sea of humanity, trying to reach and rescue the lost. He just needs help. Your big brother needs help. And so it's not a guilt thing, but it is an invitation to partnership that, that our prayers should be not, God, do this for me. God, do that for me. There's nothing wrong with that. We see in scripture we're allowed to do that. But I believe when maturity starts to take place, we start to say, Father, what do you need? Father, what can I do for you? And the whole time, I believe that it, it thrills the heart of God because he has predestined and appointed us to do good things. He prearranged them and made them ready already, according to Ephesians 2.10. And so when we say, God, what do you want to do? He gets excited because he gets to partner with you to do the very thing he created and designed you to do, which means you are marked for success. And so I don't know about you, but I think it's very, very exciting when God chooses us for a work to do. And I believe that he's chosen us even as a corporate body here at NDCC. Uh, when I was praying, uh, it was at the, toward the end of last year, I heard the Lord say, you're still the plan. I said, well, I don't even know what that means, but yes and amen. I believe in God. It's a plan to have revival and to see an outpouring because I know if there's a people who have a heart that pursue God, who continue to fast and pray, and who will not be content to have religion dominate, but a people that would go all the way into the spirit realm and cause change and effect in the supernatural realm to the point that it comes and it manifests down here, I believe that we are going to see a great outpouring of God. Amen. I'm giving my life for it. That's what I live for. I mean, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad my family's saved, but that's not enough. There are too many people lost and dying and going to hell and that you and I are called to reach them. Amen? So I encourage you in your fast. We've got three days left of a 21-day fast. You may say, well, I blew that. It doesn't matter. We've got three days left. You can do a three-day fast and you can end strong. It's not how you start. Amen? It's how you finish. So just jump right in there. Deal with your flesh. The reason I love to fast is because according to Romans, it is the spirit of the law of Christ Jesus, the law of sin and death that sets us free from the law of sin. It's that fasting when you go and you apply that spiritual truth, it totally gives you and the Holy Spirit empowers you to deal with the deeds of your body. Have you noticed some of the things you struggled with at the beginning of the fast, they just kind of drop off? Because your body wants that Coke or that pizza or whatever you've been thinking about in this fast. That's what it wants. It doesn't care about the gossip and the criticism that much. <laughs> because your spirit is dominating your, your flesh and your body. But the Holy Spirit enables us, not only when we pray in the spirit and utter the mysteries before God, but when we pray in the spirit, he also strengthens our born-again spirit to deal with the deeds of the body to deal with the deeds of the flesh. And so I just encourage you, stay in there, finish strong. If it, don't be condemned. Amen, we got three days left. You can jump right in and finish the fast with us. Amen. My husband was telling me today, I'm hungry. 
I said, tell your flesh to die. <laughs> not a lot of compassion around our house. Actually, I say that when we're not fasting. Just kidding. <laughs> Let's look at Luke 19. I'll be reading from the New King James. It's going to be on the screen. God's doing good things. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, because they didn't have Instagram, Facebook, and celebrity culture of the day. So he did not know what he looked like, right? So, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because, he, because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. If you're a shorty in here tonight, you'll see how much Jesus loves us. Me and Dave McNeil are happy about this. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of all my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. In other words, I'll give back double to anybody that I stole from. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So we're going to look at Zacchaeus. Anybody grow up in church and know the song? Who wants to sing the song? Zacchaeus was a... And a wee little... He climbed up to see Zacchaeus. Go into your house today. Really is a real song. And when you heard that in Sunday school, you never forgot that. And you never forgot that there was a well that swallowed Jonah. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. You know the name Zacchaeus means pure? And you know that Zacchaeus lived all of his days up to the day that he encountered Jesus Christ opposite of what his name was. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which also meant he was a traitor to the people. He worked directly for the Roman occupation. And not only would they extort all the taxes from the people, the Roman government, because he was a tax collector and the Jews could do nothing to him, he shook him down a little more. He took more than it was what was right and what was his pay. So the crowd hated him. They couldn't stand him because he was a, a traitor. He was a crook, a crook. He was a thief. He was a chief tax collector, which meant he was in charge. He was the IRS agent of his day, but a traitor to his people. And yet you see here that this man, even though he was very short, he heard that Jesus was coming. See, when people hear what Jesus can do, when they hear what he's done in your life, they're going to observe you and they're going to watch. 
So this man climbs up into a sycamore tree, and those that went to Israel with us, when we went to Jericho, there's this big sycamore tree that they have a fence around because they believe that was the tree that scriptures talk about. So it was really cool. We got to see the sycamore tree, and then we all made jokes like, well, a bunch of people probably had to help him up because, you know, of course, it's been 2,000 years, but it's grown some. But this man was desperate. So how desperate are you for Jesus? Are you desperate enough to climb a tree? Are you desperate enough to climb, even in the realm of the spirit? Are you desperate enough to, to do something that, that requires out of the normal or out of the box? Or are you content to just, well, me and Jesus are good. This is how I relate to him. This is how it's always been. I encourage you to open your heart and open your mind in 2022 and say, Lord, what do I need to climb? What do I need to do? Where do I need to get to have a different vantage point of you, a, a place where I can be a curious again because you're walking by? See, I heard Jesus that you're coming this way. He heard he was coming through. He did whatever he had to do, walked in the midst of a crowd who hated him because of his uh, occupation, climbed a tree and looked like a fool, and it didn't matter because what happened? That kind of action got the attention of Jesus. Zacchaeus, isn't it amazing when you seem little in your own eyes, small and significant, that Jesus notices you? Because Jesus knows exactly where we are. Whether we're climbing a tree to hide out, whether we're climbing a tree to get a different vantage point, because Jesus notices us and he knows, notices everything about us. But it says that Jesus stopped and called them by name. He had never even seen Jesus, but somehow Jesus knew him. Now we know that Jesus was God, though he never went into his divinity when he was walking out his humanity. But this obviously was a word of knowledge that was taking place here. Zacchaeus. Or he could have been so hated that Jesus just knew him because it was famous. There were probably, you know, billboards. We hate Zacchaeus, you know. Who, who knows what it was? Maybe there were short jokes around everywhere, and they all knew that was like uh, hitting at him. But Jesus noticed him. Now, the interesting thing, Jesus said, hurry and come down here, for I must stay at your house. I couldn't help but think when I was reading about this on Sunday, the Lord just began to whisper, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. So I'm like, Holy Spirit, you want to sing the Sunday school song? You know, what, what's going on here? And he kept saying, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. And he told me, even about people in this corporate body, he said, I want them to hurry and come down here for I must come and stay at their house. I thought it was interesting that he says, I must come to your house. I believe that this year that the Lord wants to come to your house and not as a visitor, but as one who dwells there. Not a visitation, but a habitation. He wants to come to your house. And when he comes to your house, he may want to go through some of your stuff. Right. See, I grew up in church, and there was this thing called the house cleaning. Anybody know about that? It was not merry maids. It was dust to dawn, devil cleaning. As soon as you got saved, see, you have to remember, my parents got saved in the Jesus people movement. So as soon as you got saved, they would begin to tell you, yeah, you know, live for Jesus. When you live for Jesus, you totally leave everything. You give him your life. And, and people, when I grew up, I didn't know that people didn't get converted. And, and there really was a move. In fact, the last known revival in America was the Jesus People Movement. That's the last one that they can really trace. They will, Brownsville, yes, but the Jesus People Movement went across the whole nation. Everybody knew it. They had bumper stickers that said, I found it. They're like, I found what? They would tell them about Jesus. And ironically, a lot of the thing that they were preaching was the rapture of the church. 
Jesus says, coming soon, are you ready? And so, so many people came in and they got saved. People that you know today, they got saved in that movement. You probably have heard of John Bevere, right? In our new membership class, we run his stuff. He got saved during that time. So many of the people you listen to today, they were impacted by that revival. They got saved. They never left Jesus. And so when these people would get saved, they would come in, you know, the, they have halter tops. And of course, everybody had Levi's that were cut off and flip-flops. Some of them didn't even have shoes on. And my parents and the preachers, they would just say, uh, yeah, you got saved. You got any stuff in your house? You know, everybody had dope. You know, everybody had a pot back in the day. They had all that stuff in the house. And, and so they said, let's go to your house and let's pray through it because Jesus is coming to the house. And so my parents just threw us in the car and we went and you know and that's how i know how to pray through houses today why I was with my dad and mom when they would get saved when people would get saved they'd go to their house and they would cast evil spirits out of their house and they would tell them yeah you need to get rid of that pornography yeah the dope's gotta go those bongs just throw them away and you know they're like can i sell them and i remember them saying don't let anybody buy your demons and these people gladly gladly went and let Jesus come to their house and, because they wanted him to stay, not to visit. And they just put that stuff in a bag and, and my parents would take it and my dad would burn it and they would, you know, destroy it, you know, and I'm like destroying stuff I don't even know. I always knew it was a bad thing when he's like, don't look at that because it was like a magazine. So, you know, as like a seven and eight year old. See, if you want Jesus to come to your house and stay, he's going to go through your stuff. But Jesus, yeah, they're like, amen, get out of that. Jesus wants to come to my house stuff. Yes, go on, Pastor Tracy, go on, go on, go on. Talk, 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 fast, 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 fast. I don't want him looking at my DVDs. I don't want him looking at, I don't want him looking at my phone. Consecrate me, Jesus. Jesus says, hurry and come down here, for I have need. I must go to your house. This reminds me of a very similar thing that we find in, I believe it's John chapter 4, when he told the woman at the well, I must, he told the disciples before he went, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. He says, I must go to your house. So there's something urgent about the heart of Jesus that he doesn't want to be a visitor. He wants to move in and he wants to occupy your home, the place of intimacy, the place where there's conversation, the place where there might be, you might say, that's not my house, Pastor Teresa, but it can be when Jesus is at the center of it. Because he'll help you how to deal with that strife. He'll help you in the relationship. He'll bring reconciliation and forgiveness of all resentment and bitterness. He will deal with the anger. He'll deal with the frustration. Jesus wants to come to your house. So I love Zacchaeus' response. And he hurried up and he went down. Could you imagine the crowd is mocking you and jeering you? They can't stand you? And the superstar walks through the town because he knew the route he was going through. So they must have went ahead and got the parade lined up. And the guy that everybody hates, the loser, the worst person in the town, Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, come down here. I must go to your house today. Do you know that little four foot three man? You know he's walking like he is a giant that day. Woo, Jesus is going to come to my house. Everybody talking about him, he points at him. Because you know at this point he hadn't encountered Jesus yet. He was just the big shot. This was an ego victory. But the amazing thing is he comes to his house. Of course, before that, I have to hit this because we're a church. Pharisees. It wasn't even the religious people at this point. The people complained. They murmured. I can't believe he's going to Zacchaeus' house. He is a sinner. I saw him last night. 
well, why were you there seeing him? Well, that's beside the point, but he's not right. He's a hypocrite. He's no good. He's a thief. He's a traitor to the country. He's a traitor to the people. And yet Jesus chooses the very guy. He goes to that town and he has a plan to stay with the guy nobody liked. That's why you should never write anybody off. Now your family may have written you off. There may be, may be people in your family you want to write off. But what I submit to you is don't ever write anybody off because you do not know the story that the pen of mercy has already scripted about their life. They might look like a loser. They may look like a failure. They may have been born on the wrong side of the tracks. They may have had all kinds of issues and challenges. But if they have a Jesus encounter like Zacchaeus had, they will never be the same. So this IRS agent of the day, he has an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus didn't care what the crowd thought. You know you might look controversial helping people get cleaned up. I have had pastors call me and tell me that they were concerned for my reputation. And I remember when I took Marilyn Hickey's Bible college class, she said, she told the Lord one time she was worried about her reputation. He said, well, why? I didn't have one. What makes you think you will? I've had people call me, good intention. They said, you have a good name, but we just don't want you to have this associated with your name. I said, well, you have to understand my calling, that I go for the lost, bleeding, dying, and damned. I go for the demonized, I go for the lepers, I go for the people that nobody wants. And so, if they make me look bad, that's okay because the Father sees me through the blood, so I'm really righteous. Like, well, we just wanted you to be concerned. I said, well, I'm not trying to build a church. I'm trying to build people, but I appreciate your concern. Have a good day. You know, you go up for tempers. Okay, goodbye. See, you may look a little controversial trying to help people get cleaned up. When you understand the mercy and the righteousness of God, you won't care what people think about you because you'll take the risk to help people. So the amazing thing to me, Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house and he isn't there very long. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus has a Jesus encounter. Jesus doesn't say anything to him. He's just in his presence. Zacchaeus turns to him and he says, Lord, whatever I've done, whatever I've extorted, he knew what he did. Believe me, he kept good records. He said, I will pay back double anyone that I've stolen from. I'm going to give half of what I own to the rich. I'm going to bring restitution. What does Jesus do? Which this is kind of amazing. He says, salvation has come to your house this day. He believed in Jesus. That encounter changed his life. I believe that when you truly do get born again, there is an encounter that happens with Jesus and your life changes. It's all throughout scripture. There's no way anybody stays the same. In fact, Jesus cannot leave anything the same when he touches it. He couldn't leave the blind man blind. He couldn't leave the, the, the lame man a crippled. He could not leave the leper disease. He cleansed them. Jesus can't leave anything the same. When you have a Jesus encounter, it changes your life. And if it hasn't changed your life, I would get on my face before the living God and say, God, why is it when I read in scripture that you change lives, that when people encounter you, they fall in love with you and they want you? Why is it it doesn't move me? Would you come see about me? There's no way he won't come see about you. Or when Jesus spots us in a tree, he comes to save, he comes to heal, he comes to lift, he comes to elevate. Reminds me of the woman at the well. I must needs go through Samaria. See, there are absolutely some people that Jesus must reach. And he has limited himself to you and I. There's people that he absolutely must reach. The woman at the well, she was what they call 
a man of peace, or in this case, a woman of peace, which is somebody that can turn a community. He had to go get that evangelist because when he realized he got that one woman, he realized he got the whole town. There's some people Jesus wants to reach, and guess what? You were one of the people that he wanted to reach, that he needed to encounter, that he had to have. He needed to come to your house. And I'm not talking about a, a physical dwelling in, in this situation, but I'm talking about that Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That doorknob's on the inside. He can't just barge in. He knocks to see if he's invited in. He wants to dwell. He wants to make us his abode. Jesus said in Luke 3, 12 to 13, even tax collectors, when they came to John the Baptist to be baptized, he said even tax collectors come to be baptized. Jesus said, don't collect more than you need or are required to. So isn't it interesting, as soon as Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he knows immediately what he needs to clean up. You know you don't have to ask everybody what you need to stop doing. If you're really encountering Jesus, now you might try to go get somebody to agree with you that you don't need to stop. But like, do you really need to like seek out even your circle leader or your pastors and say, hey, do you think I should stop cussing my kids when I'm mad? Should I stop punching the walls? Should I stop being verbally abusive? Should I really give 10%? I mean, do you need to ask your leaders if you should stop looking at porn? The point is, as soon as Zacchaeus encountered Jesus Christ, he knew exactly what he needed to stop doing and what he needed to start doing. The thing that will keep you from religious legalistic rules in a boring, dry relationship is when you walk with the Holy Spirit and whatever he says, you just agree with him and say, okay. See, after Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, Luke 19, 8, he was converted. He got right. But here's what I love about his heart. He couldn't wait to get right. Jesus didn't even ask anything of him. He told Jesus what he was going to do. There is fruit when you're right with God. You remember when you were first saved, you fell in love with Jesus? Nobody had to say, oh, you need to pray. No one had to say, read the word. Nobody even had to tell you to witness. Why? Because you had something good. You had eternal life, and you wanted to tell those that you loved. I mean, did you get saved that way? Or... I always am glad when I hear that shout. It sounded really good during praise and worship. Do you love Jesus like that still? Do you still love Jesus like that? How many have had the honor of being a bride? Now, some of you are going to have that honor, right? Mary Beth raised her hand real high. Who else? I know there's more than two married women. Oh, Bart, I'll let you know if Nikki raises her hand. Oh, it's raised. Do you like, like who's been married the longest in here? Mary Beth, how long have you been married? She'll be 36 and we're 35. 38, give it up for the hacks. Actually, give it up for Deb Hack. Hey! Okay. Now, speaking from my perspective, and the other women can all agree. Do you like if your husband still loves you? Carrie's like, I just got married, yes. <laughs> Kia, do you like that um, Carlos is still into you? Yeah? Anybody here, uh, Pastor Nancy, do you like that Angel loves you? Rose, does Jim treat you good? Got to check. <laughs> Dallas fans. It's obvious, right? I mean, I caught him flirting out there at the Welcome Center. It was... Okay, if you're glad as women, as the bride, that your husband still loves you, let me ask the men, are you glad I still love you? Paul, are you glad Deb still loves you? Jim, you're lucky. Um, Dan Jackson, you glad that Mary Beth loves you, stays in there with you? Are you glad your wife still loves you? Yes. Frankie, you glad Victoria loves you? Okay, if we, oh yeah, hey poppy. Bart, don't you just love that Nikki just laughs at you and your jokes? And by the way, if you haven't seen 
him singing to her when she's pregnant with Max, it is worth going on Facebook and looking at it. Hilarious. Okay, if we love to be loved, do you not think that as the bride of Christ, that our bridegroom wants to be loved, first love? It's not that hard to stay in love if you nurture it. Now, any of us that are married in the room, if we neglect the relationship, what happens? Nothing good, right? Briars, thorns, all kinds of things come to vie for our attention and our affection. Jesus, as the bridegroom king, does not want us to fall out of love with him any more than any man in here would want his wife looking at another man or other loves. Jesus wants to be loved. In fact, even when he uh, commends a church in, in Scripture, he says, but I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. I don't care if I get everything else wrong, if I get that right. Because Jesus, when we love him, that's what casts out fear. Perfect love, because when we love him, he comes and, and he begins to come upon us with his perfect love. Somebody texted me today, they had an encounter today in prayer with the love of God, and they said, let me just share a grand of sand, a grain of sand with the revelation, because I cannot even explain it. And that one grain of sand was powerful like a tsunami of God's love just wrecking them. Our relationship with God, that is what drives out fear, torment, and things like fear of failure, inadequacy, all of these things, that's all wrapped up in fear. Panic attacks, anxiety, that's all wrapped up in fear. Perfect love casts that out. See, after Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus, because he's always the initiator, Zacchaeus changed his mind and went above and beyond to make it right. He overcame his past, and he lived up to his name, because his name, remember, means pure. An activation that I'm going to give you, of course, it's always your choice. Tonight, would you invite Jesus into your home, both your heart and your physical address? That anything in your heart that he says, I just want to encounter you, I want more of you, and that's taken up space. But if there's a physical object in your house, why do we want to really get rid of those things? You find it in the book of Acts. It says that they all went and they got all their charms and all their witchcraft and everything. They had a big bonfire, which I still want to do that. Bart, can you please check with the township what we need for a burning permit? Because I pastor these people. That's going to be a big burn. There you go. Fire department. See, he already knows who you are and what shape you're in. You don't have to pretend with him. He wants to be there with you anyway because he's the only one that can get you through it. He's not condemning you. In fact, he's devised ways to deliver you and help you to walk all the way into victory. His presence alone and his love for us will lead us to do things we never thought we could do. Things like just admitting you're wrong. <laughs> I know somebody that all year, last year in 2021, they had to go and repent to everybody for wrong attitudes, wrong thoughts, wrong, just wrong things in their heart. And, and they told me, they said, I can, I can go and apologize and repent to anybody because the Lord made me all year long repent and ask for forgiveness. She said, I, not, I learned how to receive forgiveness and I learned how to forgive and give forgiveness. See, admitting that we're wrong and making it right, you can truly only do that if you have a Jesus encounter. And with a Jesus encounter, we do live a richer and fuller life. One example, and I won't go there tonight because I do want to pray for some folks, but in Luke 8, 43 to 48, we have the issue or the woman with the issue of blood. Layman terms, she basically was hemorrhaging for 12 years. It said that she spent so much on the doctors, she, she spent her way into poverty. Nobody could offer her help. They could not offer her a solution. There was a crowd around Jesus, the same kind of crowd that was around Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, for a little short guy, had a big brain. He climbed up in that sycamore tree to see what he could see. They got him noticed by Jesus. But the presence and the power of God and the, 
that's on Jesus, the Holy Spirit that was on Jesus is so powerful that when he's walking through a crowd, a woman who was desperate, who said, you know what, I've spent everything, I've gone to other people, I've gone to other sources, nobody can make me any better, I'm bleeding to death, I'm going to die anyway, I know what the law says, I'm supposed to stay away from everybody because I'm unclean, and I know that I'm not allowed to touch that man who they call rabbi, who they call a teacher, but I'm going to just press in through the crowd anyway. And she pressed. And you know, she probably got stepped on. She probably got shoved. She wasn't identifying with her unclean condition because faith got on the inside of her because Jesus was in a crowd, but she did not allow the crowd to keep her away from him. She pressed in. She went through. Didn't care if she got elbowed or jabbed or, or stepped on. She just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And she, by faith, touched the hem of his garment or the prayer shawl of his garment. That prayer shawl that he was with God the Father with and the Holy Spirit where he would pray early in the morning. That prayer shawl that, that would cause him to go to that secret place. She touched the hem of his garment, those tassels and said immediately virtue left his body. Because even when you don't think Jesus spots you in a crowd because you're up in a tree, he spots you in the crowd when you don't think he sees you. And he has power and virtue available if you would just but press in. If you would get a little bit of activation and a little bit of unction on the inside and say, I will not stay the same in 2022. I will climb a tree if I have to. I will press through a crowd if I have to. But one thing I'm not content to be is to live in a state of, yes, I know I'm saved. I know my name's written in heaven. But I want to know God. I want his presence to come within me. I want his presence to come upon me. I want his anointing. I want the overflow that when I walk, there are things that happen when I walk things move and things shake that people respond because of the presence of God on my life not because I'm saying the right words not because I was trained in a Bible school and I know what to say and how to deliver and how to write a three-point sermon not because I have alliteration in my teaching but I want the presence and the power and the spirit of God upon me not for me not for my sake but when I go into a crowd of the bleeding the lost the dying and the damned I can make a difference because not only is the spirit within me but the spirit is upon me and it begins to go and move in the crowd and deal with hearts and lives and let them know that Jesus is alive and real. He's not reduced to a religious idea but he's out of the box because he's a God of action and he comes for men and women to save and heal, mend, restore and redeem. He alone is the one that can transform and save a soul. See, he needs some people that are interested in what he's interested in. I'm telling you what, you start laboring with God co-laboring, which means he calls the shots. You get around Jesus, he, you don't even tell him, you don't even have to tell him what you need. By being in his proximity, your needs get met because seek first the kingdom of God and I will add all these things to you. I'm telling you, there is an opportunity as, as never before of, of growth and grace and maturity and putting your hand to the plow and digging and, 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 and plowing straight furrows for the kingdom. The time is now. And if you're there and, 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 and not trying to be offensive, but if you're there just in a pool of apathy and, you know, how we get, right? Holy Ghost, whatever you got to do to wake me up, shake me. Whatever you got to do. If I have to continue to fast and pray. If you want to know how to keep your flesh on a short leash, you know what? Fast one day a week. Keep yourself on a short leash because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death through fasting. Cause that discipline to come to your flesh so you can keep it under so you can go over. Don't go back to things that you fight, that you've fought so hard to get free from. But this day, choose. I mean, if you're going to live for Jesus, don't you just 
want to do it. I mean, if you did things halfway, I mean, I don't, I don't really know people that do that. Like when you do something, you, you pretty much commit. Do that with Jesus. Come strong. And say, you know what, Jesus, I may not know a blessed thing. I don't even know John 3, 16. I'll go out in the fields and work with you. I'll labor with you. If you just tell me what to do. Anybody can do grunt work, right? You know why they call it grunt work? They tell you what to do. You're like, Ugh. Just kidding. Anybody can do it, right? If I said, please take the trash out of that trash can, you could do that, right? You know when you first start hanging out with Jesus, that's kind of what he tells you to do. Hey, go clean the toilets. Hey, somebody needs a ride to church. We got a church van for that. Your car needs to be the church van. Because it's easier to get five cars to pick up people local than it is to get five cars to go 20 miles into the city to pick up the same amount of people that the van can do. Or if you find me 25 grand, I know God will anoint me and I'll find another van like I found that one. Literally driving down Baltimore Pike. He said, stop here, turn left. I go in there and he said, there's a white van for you. I go in, you know how they all come. I'm just ignoring him. He goes, what do you want? What do you want? They're, they're chasing me. I was like, wait, wait. So I'm looking for a white van. We don't have any of those. Right there. He goes, what? And he went and looked. It came in two hours before. I think it had 16,000 miles on it. I said, I'll give you 20 grand cash right now. And he said, oh, let me go in. They said, yes. And I called him. I said, I'm putting $500 down. You can come because I am not sitting anywhere for seven hours of paperwork. <laughs> Pastor went and picked it up. Give me 25 grand. I'll, we'll, we'll do it again. But until now, when you say, Jesus, I want to labor in the field with you, you might be the one that's got to go pick people up with a good heart attitude. We will go pick people up. We have always went to pick people up. I check on people. Do you need a ride? Do you need a ride? Do you need a Danny, right? Tonight, I'm like, Danny, where are you at? My truck won't start. Two people are about to pick him up. He goes, I got to start. He's going to find him a ride. Why? Because what good am I doing having this church if I'm too busy with church work to go get people? To bring them here. Coming from someone who picks people up in her car. She and Angela Carl. You know what? The, the church would triple if this year we all as individuals said, we're going to bring more people to church in our car than Angela and Eileen. It's, their cars are parked every Sunday. Here's how I believe it, and here's what keeps you free from legalism and works. In the morning, you sit and you have breakfast with your dad. Your real dad. Father God. Lord God Almighty. Whatever you call him. But if I'm thinking about pancakes, right? My dad used to always make me pancakes. Not always, but about once a month. And he'd butter each one. There's no such thing as cold syrup in my house growing up. It's warm. I used to call it syrup. Then I married him. It's syrup. And they put it in the fridge. I'm like, whatever. But he'd butter each one. Bang, I'd sit there. We'd talk. Typically about football or boxing or the Lord. And he'd tell me about intercession and what God was saying to him. And then... I would leave, and I'd go do my work, whatever I had to do for the day. But here's how it is with Father God. We sit at the table, and we fellowship with the Father, with Jesus the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. We have our prayer habit. We read our devotions, listen to Scripture, and then we leave the table and say, I'll be back tonight, Dad, for supper. I'm going to go into the field, and I'm going to work. And you go, and you go out into the harvest, and you plant seeds. <laughs> We're farmers, right? Just put your hand in the seed bag, and you just throw it out. Tell people about Jesus. Pray for somebody if they're sick. Take an opportunity. And then when we're done, bearing the heat of the day, we go back and you walk in and the father has supper cooking because he's ready to fellowship with you again. And then you get up and you do it the next day. And when you live it like that, it's not a burden. The work's not a burden. 
It is an honor and a joy. In my book that I finished, I may not have it exactly right, but this is in just, uh, the gist of what I said, that I dedicated the book to the Holy Spirit who chose me to write a book about him. What an honor it was when I know so little. What great things does God have for you to do? It's a year of activation, but I just want to set right out at the beginning. Pastor, that's a lot of work. It is. It's works of righteousness. It's not works for salvation. It's a big difference. But if you get it right, you'll love the, the life that you get to live and the life that you get to lead. Amen? If you are in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, they say you can't do an altar call this way. I'm going to keep doing it until it works. Actually, it worked at that funeral the other night, didn't it? Tons of people accepted Jesus. Presence of God came to place. Tough people were crying. Somebody in Islam said that they felt the presence of God and they want to come to church. I mean, God moved in that a funeral that I did on Monday. But why did I do the funeral? I didn't know the person. I was very saddened because it was somebody's cousin in the church and they said they're looking for a preacher. The lady just got saved six months ago. And the Holy Spirit said, yes, go, because you'll have an opportunity to preach the gospel to a whole room full of people. And many of you prayed for it. The intercession was on me all day. And the presence of God came in that place. Grown, hardened men crying. People out loud asking Jesus to forgive them and save them as the gospel was clearly preached. They were live streaming it. Who knows who and watching that funeral got the gospel heard to them. See, that sounds like a wow, really cool work. And there are people here, right? Am I telling the truth? That stuff happened, right? Eddie's shaking his head. Clary's shaking her head. Magdalia's shaking her head. That sounds really cool, right? All that was my work for the day when I sat with Father. He said, put your hand in the seed bag and go scatter the seed. We are not responsible for the results, but we are responsible to co-labor and give Jesus a chance to reach them. I don't know why God did it this way, but he chose to limit himself to you and I. My flesh will give me fits just like yours does. And somehow, yet in his grace and mercy and compassion, he's like, you're still my best shot. You're still the plan. I still need you, Zacchaeus. I still need you, woman that had five husbands and the one you're with now, he's not your husband. NDCC, I'm telling you. There's individual anointing, but I'm telling you, in 2022, we have stepped into a corporate anointing. Jesus said, out of everything he said to pray for, I mean, Jesus gave a prayer request. He's on Slack, right? And the intercessor Slack. Please pray that the Lord of the harvest sends laborers. Jesus' prayer request is for laborers. So if you're not saved, if your heart isn't right from God, if your heart is far away from God, if you want to just make a bold step and come up here and get your heart right with God, he'll meet you. Come down out of your tree, Zacchaeus. The Lord must come to your house today. How's your heart? Should you die tonight? Are you right with God? It's real easy to get right. You renounce your sin, you repent of it. I'm going to switch the call. If you're here and you just said, Jesus, I want to be a laborer. I don't know what it looks like to put my hand in your hand. I, I just want to say yes. Whatever you need me to do while time is short. Tuesday night during corporate prayer, you can just go ahead and respond to the altar now. If you want to be a laborer, Tuesday night during prayer,
I kept hearing so loud in my spirit, labor while it is yet day, for the hour comes when no man can work. Labor while it is yet day, for the hour comes when no man can work. When I came in tonight, Frankie shared an experience he was having in worship of everything going on in the world and the chaos out there and what is coming, but how the church in the presence of God and in worship, they were preserved and they were kept. I don't say this to try to scare you. I say this to remind you of what the word says. Matthew 24 still has to happen. We went through the whole teaching, Rick Renner's teaching on the 17 markers that the Bible says in the last days there would be. We're all 17 on steroids, folks. We are the hope. We are the answer. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world because it is the body of Christ. It is those that preach the gospel. And the enemy wants to lie to you and just lull you to sleep and tell you you don't have the goods or you're not that bold. All that is is an opportunity to experience the Holy Spirit in a way you never have before. That you can receive his love and drive out the fear and you can begin to put your hand to the plow. I know the majority of you by the Spirit. You're not lazy, slothful people. You're hard workers. I'm just saying, let's give Jesus our hand. And say, Lord, I don't know what you can do with my hand, but I know you always increase it. We live in a city of 6.5 million people. It's so humbling to say it this way, but because he chose to limit himself to us, he needs us. Oh, he's God, he's sovereign, he can do what he wants. But in the pattern of scripture, he just gets joy out of partnering with men and women. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, we need you. We need your burden. Jesus, you came to seek and save that which is lost. Oh, we need you. We need you. We need you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Teresa Verdecchio of New Destiny Christian Center. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com.